Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. It is Monday morning. It is Monday morning, the October the 3rd, 2022. And it is Monday morning, October the 3rd, 2022 at 8 a.m., which means one and only one thing. It means connecting with Jimmy Sexton in Dubai, CEO of the Esquire Group, to continue our discussion of the lessons from Charles Adams' great book, For Good and Evil. Well, how are you today, Jimmy? I'm doing great, John. Yourself? I am good, but this is the first Monday in October, and it's either the first Monday or the first Tuesday that the Supreme Court of the United States reconvenes. Oh, yeah? And that is happening, possibly this morning, possibly tomorrow morning. Which makes me real remember that the Bittner case, which yep. has relevance to various people we know, will be heard November the second. Yep. More tax history in the making. But in any case, today we are talking about, I think, I, I mean, this guy, like, it's almost as though, you know, he could look out and have a thought about the day, write it down, wake up the next day, and he'd be seeing it happening. And this is a great he's, example. He's like the Nostradamus of tax. Exactly, exactly. Well, here we have this lesson. Liberty tends to carry the seeds of its own destruction. For free men will often grant extensive taxing powers to their governments, not realizing that these taxing powers will, if carried to excess, destroy the very liberty they sought to preserve. I feel I feel like this is this is the state of the world right now. I feel like we're 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 experiencing this in real time. It's like we're living history. It is unbelievable. I mean, you close your eyes and you think about what's going on in the world and you can just see the erosion of liberty. You can just see it literally coming down yep. one pillar at a time. For sure. And I mean, I think we've already uh, I think quite a bit of it's already been destroyed, right? I mean, I, I, there's not. I mean, I, it can always get it can always get worse. But what's being destroyed are the, the last few remaining pillars of liberty. Well, a lot of the people who are busy destroying it, I think, imagine that somehow it's it's actually creating more liberty. Oh, I I, I don't I don't think that they even think about liberty. I think well, the people that are that are making it happen are just thinking about one thing, is that's getting the tax money. You know, I, I think that is absolutely right. Well, maybe we ought to start the discussion today by recognizing that at least in theory, there is a concept of liberty. Well, that's for sure. And that theory has, you know, really been the underpinning of of a lot of politics, right, over the years. I mean, wouldn't even things like the Magna Carta, uh, you know, be tied to that? The, sure. the way the seeds of the American Revolution are described. Sure. So this liberty thing, like, like this is no joke. This is no joke. Um, what's interesting with a lot of it when you start talking about the politics, right, is so much of it is... is um, you know, oh, we have to do this to protect freedom. But then by doing whatever it is that they want to do to protect the freedom, they need money to do it, which means more taxes, which in the end means less freedom and liberty. Well, even if they don't 
uh, need money to do what they're doing. It, it strikes me that, I'm not saying this is always the case, but I think it would be a useful presumptive starting point to say any law, any law should carry a presumption of the erosion of liberty. Would you agree with that? I do agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, I, it's a good thing that, you know, that uh, you're alone where you are and I'm alone where I am, because I'm sure there would be people who would instantly want to pull a gun on us for saying something like that. I mean, I, th I think I think laws by their very nature restrict something, right? I mean, I mean, the, the, the in influence, <laughs> they're meant to influence or control behavior. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Kind of, they, by definition, is less liberal. Every law, by definition, uh, controls behavior. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So, I mean, it, it must presumptively erode liberty. Now, I know that from an intellectual point of view that clearly there are some laws which I think could reasonably argue to promote liberty, but but this, I think the presumption is they don't, okay? And I think clearly yeah. most of them don't. I mean, I mean, I think you, you know, look, I think you get down to like the Ten Commandments, right? And those probably, a lot of those enhance liberty, right? Like thou shalt not kill. You know, you definitely, you have more liberty if you have to worry less about being killed. Um, but, but beyond that, I think most of them definitely do not promote liberty. You know, I've often thought that the world would be a lot better if we just had the Ten Commandments as the laws and no other laws. No, I agree with you. I I, I, com I completely agree with you. I mean, I th I think that the, you know, the actual laws that that, that that really matter that are sort of, you know, to protect property and 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 and, and life are really, you know, summed up in like two of the commandments, right? Like thou shalt <laughs> right. There's specific instances of those laws. So at the very least, you know, for legis if they if a legislature wants to write a law, uh, at the very least. Shouldn't they be saying, well, this law follows directly from this commandment or from that commandment or is a specific? I, I mean, that, that's that's an, that's an interesting thought. I, I think that I think it's a good thought. But I also think that, you know, I mean, look at some of the perverted interpretations of the Constitution. Right. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think, you know, I think that they would take the Ten Commandments and they would they would, you know, bastardize the, the you know, what was actually intended with them with 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 laws that are in exact contravention of a commandment well you know of course you know you we talk about these laws and i immediately think about the titles of these laws and you know i've come to see that you know if you want to know what a law really means read the title and assume the opposite well yeah like i mean just think about the f bar you know came in under the bank secrecy act has nothing to do with bank secrecy i know that's it's insane isn't it Absolutely nothing to do with bank secrecy is, is absolutely right. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, more recent news, how about the uh, the Inflation Reduction Act? Yeah, it's going to do not that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy, right? Or, you know, if you look at FACA came in under the Higher Act, I mean, yeah. most of the Higher Act turned out to be FACA. I mean, they, you know, these have nothing to do with each other. No, absolutely. And I think not. that probably, probably there, there are two two lessons that can be drawn from this. First of all, I think that omnibus bills should be absolutely outlawed. I think that every law should be done separately so people know what they're signing off on. 100%. 100%. And, uh, and I wonder about these titles, too. Um, 
you know, I wonder I wonder if they should even have titles. You know, when you think of this, if if, if we were if we were a we were a business doing the same thing. I feel like the Fair Trade Commission would be up our ass. Falls uh, yeah, if they if they hadn't if you hadn't been summarily executed first. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's absolutely right. So you know what we have, of course, and, and a lot of these, uh, you know, these omnibus bills, which is what law is now, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, these are tax provisions, right? And this is how you get in. And we, you know, we come back to Charles Adams for good and evil. Well, you know, these conversations that we've had, I think it reinforced something that we both always know and is that one of the most fertile, prevalent and pervasive forms of evil ever is in tax laws, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, because they can't be understood. And these things tend to come in as, as omnibus bills. So, you know, we come back to our general theme, right? And if we start with a presumption that, uh, you know, the purpose of law is to erode liberty, at least the presumptive purpose, okay? Yep. And so much of law has to do with, you know, when you look about uh, pay-go and revenue offset provisions and stuff. So not only do the laws want to erode liberty, but they want you to pay for the law but through some increase in tax, agreed? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's it's absolutely extraordinary stuff. No, it's, 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 you're you're paying for your own imprisonment, or in some cases, your own execution. Yep. I mean, it's really. I mean, how is this any different from you know this? I don't know if this is really true, but you hear from time to time that in China they execute you and make your family pay for the bullet. Yep. Yeah, I've heard that too. I mean, you know, I don't know. Is it? I mean, it's certainly less graphic, but is it really any different? Not really. Oh, I, I think I think that's right. Well, okay, so it's pretty clear that um, it's pretty clear that just the ability, the power to make laws, and the propensity to finance the laws through increased taxes, right? or different taxes, is very much at the root of, going back to what he's saying here, it's very much at the root of liberty carrying, tends to carry the seeds of its own destruction, right? Yep. Free men will often grant extensive taxing powers to their governments, not realizing what these taxing powers will be. Well, think about what the Biden administration just did. You know, we're going to finance 87,000 new IRS agents. And you know, at the and, and at the end of the day, these eighty-seven. I mean, all is it's. I mean, I as I think I've shared with you before, and in in, in in my previous life, I used to do, you know, taxpayer defense. You know, when they were in trouble with the IRS. You know, you, I think you should you should be you should get some kind of a sainthood designation or something for having done that. Right. And, and what and what I what I realized with um, in doing that was that the IRS would tend to focus on middle class taxpayers, and they would hit them with just the perfect amount of a tax bill with penalties and interest and stuff to where you know the person probably didn't really owe the tax. And they could fight it, but there wasn't a hundred percent chance they were going to win. 
And for them to spend the money to hire a lawyer and everything else just might not be worth it. So usually the people just paid the money to be done with it, whether it was right or wrong, whether they really owed it or not. And this this is how the IRS operates, right? I mean, they, they, they operate on like, what can we realistically collect? What are the low hanging fruit? The complicated stuff they, they usually leave alone because, you know, the big stuff, people will hire a lawyer and fight it. And so I'm absolutely convinced that these 87,000 people, um, they can audit the wealthy as much as they want. But I can tell you, the wealthy hire the best tax experts to do their taxes. There's not, I don't think there's a whole lot of... Well, they're they, going to go absolutely nowhere with that. They're, yep. they're going to be outgunned 100% of the time. Yep. They're going to go case, out. You know, they seem to think that, you know, there's all these armies of people out there trying to evade tax. I don't actually believe that to be true. Well, I, well, listen, I, I, I completely, I completely agree with you. And, and, and moreover, the ones that are where there is evasion, it's not the wealthy, right? I mean, the wealthy are hiring the best tax experts, to not only advise them, but prepare their tax returns. I mean, they probably have the most correct tax positions and tax returns of anybody in, in the entire population, other than maybe a 1040 EZ filed by, by you know, somebody with just a W-2. Or somebody who doesn't have to file because they don't meet the threshold. I mean, that's exactly. the only person who's definitely in compliance. For sure. I'm 100% in compliance. Why? I don't make I don't have to file. to file. But for sure, these 87,000 uh, IRS agents are just going to harass the middle class, right? Where, where they, they can't really defend themselves or it doesn't make sense to defend themselves, but they have the money to pay. Um, I mean, the only place where I think that there probably is a large amount of tax evasion is with, um, you know, small business where there's a lot of cash or you know, small business where there's like a lot of bartering or something like that. I think there's there's problem, you know, you know, deducting personal expenses that, you know, through a business that, you know, as business expenses. I, I think there's probably, you know, some evasion in those areas. But by and large, I agree with you. I, I don't think there's a ton of people out there trying to evade taxes. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly not, you know, certainly not. Uh, the people they're always talking about these so-called wealthy they don't oh for sure not but uh, but uh, you know you, I mean you hit on a good point I mean part of the reason you know I just do not believe that you know people wake up every day thinking about ways to cheat on I just don't believe it. it's just not my my experience okay and also I think it's a ridiculous waste of your time you can think of ways to do that you can use that time more productively to make more money you know for sure. No problem. I think that it's more the the complexity, you know, the inability to comply anyway. I mean, and that's that's largely, I think, a big difference between the, you know, higher net worth, you know, a person and the middle class and down, right? The middle class and down just have no way of, you know, really figuring out how to guarantee they're in compliance, right? In many cases, right. you know, the sure. upper middle class to the wealthy, well, certainly the wealthy clearly do. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's absolutely nuts. There's no question about it. And I mean, sorry. You know, it seems to me that, you know, this is one of the best arguments out there for a complete revamping and rethinking of what taxation even means. Yep. 
I mean, is taxation, you know, really for the purpose of, uh, you know, regulating and influencing people's lives to the extent that it does? I mean, surely that's not what taxation is supposed to be about. Well, I, I don't think that was the, the intent of, certainly not the intent of taxation, but I think that that's what it's become because, you know, the, the government, uh, one, has made it really complicated, and, and, and two, um, that you know, enforcing it against people. Yeah, see, that's the thing, right? The, this 87,000, I mean, all this can be understood to be as enforcement. That's all it can be understood yep. to be. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't think, of course, I, I guess it's a way to give 87,000 people jobs. Uh, you know, maybe they should call it the uh, Reducing Unemployment Act or something like that. Um, well, I mean, I, I don't... <laughs> I mean, I think it has more to do with, I mean, personally, I think it, it almost has more to do with, with, with marketing than anything, right? That, that Biden can say, oh, we got these 87,000 new uh, IRS agents that are going to, you know, go in and harass these tax evading wealthy people. Um, I think, I think this is something that he'll probably campaign on, uh, you know, if he chooses to run again next election cycle you know that he's he's the one taking on the wealthy you know making things more fair um by you know beefing up the irs to be able to get these evil wealthy people i i, I don't think you know i i think in my opinion that's all it is i mean just think of you know listening to what you just said right i mean only in america uh could the notion that you create a more fair society by increasing the size of the IRS only in America could that kind of notion be taken seriously? Well, I mean, look, I think that that and, and completely baselessly, I think that the, the Democrats have have just demonized uh, the, the the wealthy that they're just these greedy, evil, scheming people you know, robbing society and causing all the ill will and the, you know, you know, exploiting poor people and, you know, all of this stuff. And they've made this a, going after the wealthy really central to uh, what their party stands for. And, and you know, obviously increasing the size of the IRS is sort of for, for them the, the proof that they're doing it, right? Well, that's certainly reveals how you know if that is indeed true uh reveals how disconnected they are from you know what people's lives really are about and what politics should be well look i think both sides the republicans and democrats are, are completely disconnected from from the people that they they represent right i mean when you look at you know like this abortion issue with Roe v. Wade, you know, 56% of, of the U.S. population, or, or maybe it was higher, uh, believe that it should be legal. So why isn't it? How is it possible that, that more than half of the population in the United States think, some, think something should be legal and it's not? I mean, it just proves that the, 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 in a representative government, you know, both the Republicans and Democrats are completely disconnected from what their constituents want and that they don't care what their constituents want. They're just doing whatever they want. So the word republic, right, I believe it's Latin origins. 
I believe, so to speak, representative of the Republic, right? That's, I think, you know, what it's supposed to mean. And, you know, the point you make is not only true of the United States, but I think it's true of Western democracies in general that, you know, basically... Uh, government is no longer representative of the public at all. I mean that that is that is very 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 clear. And I I think that personally, all this is way beyond what we need to talk about at least today. Yeah, I think that the the extent to which the political parties have sort of co opted the, the process, right? I mean, what's a political party generally other than some kind of a voting pact or a voting coalition, right? Yeah, that's right. You, know, you look at what's going on in the Senate now. Well, we're going to line up our 50 Democrats and our 50, you know, we all know, you know, I mean, that, you know, that's part of the problem. Uh, but yep. there's no doubt that, you know, I go back to uh, Reagan's inaugural address. And this is, man, we, we need to do a podcast, at least one on that address. But, you know, he, he starts talking about this and he says he's talking about the special interests. And then and then he says, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, then he says, but now. There is one special interest that we are going to acknowledge. And that special interest is the everyday people, the cabbies, the teachers, the people who go to work every day. This is the special interest, you know, that our administration is going to acknowledge. And it's got to come back to that, you know, somehow or other, because there's one, you know, it's like, for example, I look at this whole debate about the, uh, you know, which I've been very involved in the, you know, the taxation of Americans abroad. And you look at the different, the different facets of this. And what I find interesting is, is the people who don't file the taxes, you know, they're the ones who get all the noise. Nobody cares about the people who do. Yep. It's it's truly amazing stuff. But anyway, so our theme, liberty carries the seeds of its own destruction. So the way I interpret that is that as democracies evolve, uh, assuming for a moment that you believe there's a correlation between liberty and democracy, and I think there should be. I don't know if there is. But as they evolve, the problem becomes that more people vote for a living than work for a living, right? Absolutely. I mean, do you think that that's partly what's reflected in this lesson here? I I absolutely do. And I mean, I also think that the way the tax systems are set up, right, like I I think that that you also have – you know, for example, like I don't think that and we've talked about this before, but I don't think corporations should pay income tax. Um, I think all income, ta- I think corporations should just be uh, flow through to the individuals. Um, because, you know, there, there's always because you get this people voting for a living because of the free benefits and stuff that they can get from the government that somebody else is going to pay for and you can't really, you know, a corporation is the perfect person to have pay for something because it's not really a person at all, right? So you can kind of get something for free from the corporation. Or you vote that the wealthy should pay more or and all this stuff. The only way it works is all tax, all income tax needs to be borne by the citizens and residents. And everybody has to pay something. It needs to be a flat tax or something. If you make a thousand dollars a year, you should have to pay, you know, whatever ten percent of it to the government. If you make a billion a year, ten percent of it to the government. And everybody needs to be to be vested in it. Right. 
You know, I mean, I think that that clearly is the only moral starting point. I think that's the only moral starting point. Of course, and you know, maybe that it did start that way. I don't know, but I mean, once you start adding carb out here, carb out there, well, you know, ten percent means a lot less to somebody who makes a million a year than somebody who makes twenty. You know, this sort of stuff, right? Yeah. You know, this is where it all goes. So I think that you know, you need to resist the. Uh, the the populist impulse and the uh, the the opportunities from the democratic process, you know, to override, uh, you know, what I would call moral starting points. And let's go back now to our Ten Commandments, right? So the Ten Commandments, I think, are—I don't know if there's so much laws, but they're moral starting points, right? You know, the foundation and the Constitution should be a moral starting point, right? And that's why we have, for example, equal protection laws, you know, et cetera. Yep. But you I mean, know, this is, you know, I mean, we are at a, a stage in history where uh, there is no more representative. The, the government's no longer represent the people at all. They are using the so-called democratic process to basically run roughshod over people's liberties I mean, I have never, um, you know, I grew up what I can now see is probably one of the golden ages in human history where, you know, there were fewer laws, there were no computers, so there was less surveillance, you know, now it's, it's just a completely different world. Yep. And, 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 and I mean, and, and, and you just look, you know, going back to, to Charles Adams's, um, you know, less than twenty six here. I mean, I think we're 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 at that this point, right, where we've we've granted the government such great taxing powers, um, and and now you know the liberty is has largely been destroyed. It's going to get destroyed more, and this has been a a lesson when you read Charles Adams's book about the rise and fall of so many great civilizations. I mean, they all basically follow this cycle laid out in 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 less than twenty six. I, I think I think what's needed, I think I think we need to come up with the Ten Commandments of tax. To if somebody is going to start a tax system from zero, these are the Ten Commandments you have to follow to not get to not let this happen. I wonder. I mean, that's a very very interesting idea, and we should do it. But what I'm thinking is the way we do it is we take the Ten Commandments. And we translate each of the moral messages into a tax-specific message. That could I, I would I, I would I, I'm, I need to brush up on all my Ten Commandments, but I I think oh, that would of, be of course you do, I do, we all do. Why? Because we live in the 21st century where morality right. doesn't matter. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the Ten Commandments are statements of moral principles. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What, you know, from which and, and just think of it this way, right? I mean, let's look at let's look at a family. Okay, a bunch of people, uh, you know, they come together for whatever reason, you know, to make their lives easier. So, I mean, everybody would understand the 10. I mean, the family survives only as long as people instinctively obey the 10 commandments. Right. Okay, generally, or, you know, you expand it to, for example, on my street, sort of a. Uh, an accidental because it's a small street it's not a gated community for sure but it's a little bit secluded from everything else right and it's a street where 
you know, basically people don't get in each other's face, but everybody kind of knows who lives, you know, here, you know, et cetera. Yeah. There's sort of a, you know, people get along, and I think feel, uh, which is almost unheard of in the city of Toronto, sort of a, a somewhat of a responsibility to each other to behave themselves. So, you know, if you were to take those Ten Commandments and, and taxify it, if you will, I mean, maybe that, maybe that's how, maybe that would give you a reasonable result. I mean, I think it's a good starting point. It is because let's look at it this way. Uh, you know, we have all these presumptions in the world that somehow constitution, administrative law, principles of morality, fairness, justice, tax laws stand above all that stuff, right? Yep. You know, they're just tax laws. And maybe maybe one of the, the greatest indicators of erosion of liberty is when you allow your tax laws to be exempt from, you know, the constitutional principles of fairness, sure. right? Yeah, of course. I mean, I have, I have long, you've probably heard me say this before, but I have long been of the view that at some point the Internal Revenue Code has effectively replaced the U.S. Constitution as the Constitution. Well, I mean, look, I think it's certainly, it is certainly the most impactful part of the, of the U.S.'s legislative package that exists. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. This is, this is amazing stuff, isn't it? Did you ever think you were going to grow up to be a historian? No. I did not. And, and here you are today, October the 2nd, 2022, one of the leading tax historians in the world. <laughs> it's just you and me. It all happened <laughs> by accident. But but here we go. Uh, well, and we owe it to Charles Adams. Uh, but, you know, so reading this again, liberty tends to carry the seeds of its own destruction. For free men will often grant extensive taxing powers to their governments not realizing these taxing powers will, if carried to excess, and destroy the very liberty. God, I don't even think people consider liberty to be a priority anymore. No, I would agree. <clears throat> the people who think about it at all think in terms of it being destroyed. Th that's for sure. It deserves, a lot, it, de <laughs> it deserves a lot more thought and respect than it gets. Well, absolutely it does, because <clears throat> it seems to me that an assumption of liberty is the only thing that can you know, provide moral guidance, you know, to the direction these laws are taking. I mean, is anybody, I mean, I would be shocked if somebody ever objected to a tax law on the basis that it wasn't fair. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, you'd be laughed out of the room. What does fairness sure. have? This is taxation. Exactly. On that note, <clears throat> until next, next time, this has been a great discussion. For sure. And I thank you for it very much. Anything you'd like to add, and by all means, how do people get in touch with you to get some of that sex and wisdom who want to become, you know, after this and listening to you talk through these lessons, people are going to be saying, I want to grow up to be a tax historian just like you. <laughs> uh, I, I want to meet these people, but they can reach me at EsquireGroup.com. All right. That's great. Thanks very much. Thank you.